This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host Ryan Dalton, thanks as always for clicking play on the pod. A very good morning, evening, afternoon, uh, middle of the night, I don't know when you lot listen to this. Um, Be interesting to know, let me know, actually, let me know. (laughs) I really want to know when you listen to Into the Wild. Um, But welcome back to another episode. I hope you enjoyed episode 100, Drunk Natural History. I still feel a bit hungover from it, if I'm completely honest I don't think I've fully recovered but now we are on episode 101 um should have made it about Dalmatians that was the <laughs> joke or reference I've made on the podcast so far I can only apologize but that's I mean that's probably not true I've probably told way worse jokes but anyway it's lovely to talk to you all again I hope you've all been well and enjoying spring then winter then spring then winter again then spring and then winter and I think in London at the moment we're back in spring although we did have a random sleet storm a couple of (laughs) couple of days ago so um you know hashtag climate crisis and all that jazz um let's actually no let's not do that let's go into some positivity I'm not doing I'm not gonna start every show with ah um let's (laughs) Oscar's gonna hate me for shouting down the mic um let's move on to some 60 second nature news haven't done this for a while because you know we've been busy with other things but let's go into some positivity with 60 second nature news if you're a new listener to into the wild and you don't know what the hell i'm talking about um get used to that and 60 second nature news is a little segment we've got where i read out four positive nature stories from around the world to give us a little bit of hope and optimism about wildlife the natural world and this old planet so deep breath let's go let's see if i can read these out in one minute deep breath let's go Thanks to reintroduction efforts for the first time in a hundred years, the long-finned dace is swimming in the Santa Cruz River of Arizona. Nearly 500 individuals were stocked in the river, which has given life back to the water that disappeared due to the increased city and urban need for water. Nepal has created its first ever bird sanctuary, a wetland area spread in 2,500 hectares, which will help conserve and protect over 360 species. Sea turtles in the Seychelles have had a whopping comeback since the 1960s. Due to long-term and hard-working conservation efforts, green turtles are thriving again in the Seychelles with a 665% increase in nests. What? Damn. Since the 1960s. 
And finally, two new marine protected areas around Cocos and Christmas Island now conserved over 740,000 square kilometers of coral reefs and other ocean ecosystems. They've been designed alongside the local community in order to maintain their sustainable local food source and way of life. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. Right, well, there you go. There's some... Uh, optimistic news on that note actually i've got to say um you're probably all wondering where i get these stories from um i make them up no no <laughs> i don't make them up i don't imagine if it, i mean if i did that'd be more impressive than them them actually existing in the first place i don't make them up um Basically, what I do is I go online and try and I, I spend. Sometimes it takes ages, uh, depressingly, to find some positive news. Um, but I, I go on NGOs, Twitter, Instagram feeds, um, different conservation groups to see what's going on. Um, I sometimes tweet out asking people to send in some. So if you ever hear of anything that is positive going on in your local area, um, in the country you live in, or globally, or anything at all, please do email or DM a link and some info about that. I'm happy to include it in 60 Second Nature News. You can send it into Into the World Pod at gmail.com or into the world pod slash podcast on Twitter and Instagram and um, I'll give you a credit but I will say one Twitter account and Instagram account that I use a lot because they're fantastic is Conservation Optimism if you don't follow them on Twitter and Instagram please give them a follow they're a, a great bunch of people that are just spreading positive news about the natural world um, and they share headlines like this which is you know a very handy source for someone like the, me that is also trying to share these positive nature stories so go check them out Anyway, on to today's episode. It's been a while, I thought, that we since we've done an episode just about an animal. You know, we're quite often talking about um, a habitat or we're talking about land use or we're talking to a specific person about their career in this industry. But it's been a while since we've spoken about an actual animal. So I did what I always do. I give some shout outs and I'm like, where are you? I want to talk about this animal. And I wanted to talk about sea turtles because who doesn't love a sea turtle? Who did not love Crush from Finding Nemo? It's just impossible to not like these animals and i found the best person to speak to i spoke to the lovely carly jackson a shark conservationist and marine turtle specialist and one of the founders of miss elasmo which stands for minorities in shark science it was a lovely chat with carly to talk about her experience working with marine animals and wildlife and obviously to go down deeper talking about the sea turtles and also hear about the exciting things that's coming up in the next few years with their organization miss elasmo so ladies and gentlemen this is Sea Turtles and Miscellasmo with Carly Jackson. Carly, welcome to Into the Wild. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Like I said to you just before we recorded, we've had storms for the last couple of days. I feel like people elsewhere in the UK suffer from the storms more than us in London. It's kind of, we get very panicky, but you know, everything's usually fine. You know, the tubes may be a bit delayed, but that's it. But <laughs> it has been surprisingly windy, so it's been interesting. And I work outside, so it has been an adventure. But oh, yes, other fun. than that, <laughs> it is nice, yeah. So welcome to Into the Wild, Carly. Should we start at the very beginning and get you to tell us who you are and what is it you do? Yes. So my name is Carly Jackson. I am a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm the Director of Communications for Minorities and Shark Sciences, MISS, and I think we're going to talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also a sea turtle research associate for the New College of Florida, and I'm currently contracted to help out at um, Disney Conservation. On Disney Conservation? Yes. 
That's got to be the best two words put together. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's something that not a lot of people like really know about and I didn't mm. until I got this job, but but yeah, so it's I'm right here in Orlando, right in Disney World, so Oh, Carly, I'm so jealous of your life. <laughs> <laughs> right in the very beginning. I won't lie, I miss the beach. I like have been living in um like Fort Lauderdale area for like almost ten mm-hmm. years, and that's like on the beach. And now I'm in the middle of Florida, <laughs> and it's like there's no beach. Right. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I miss the ocean. <laughs> so, what's Disney conservation? Is this is this to do with Animal Kingdom? Is this the side of um of that? A little bit. I won't talk about it a lot, but. So, you know, the Disney Conservation Fund, they give out a lot of grants for other people to do research and everything. We also have a conservation department that does research here on uh, Disney property at the seas at Epcot. And yeah, and like just just different. It's just a lot of different things going on. But they do a lot of good conservation work all around the world. That's amazing. It's so nice to hear when big companies are doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, I'd never heard of that. And, and what a great thing to quickly learn at the very beginning of the episode. Right. <laughs> um, so before we get talking about our topic today, which is going to be sea turtles, which I'm buzzing about, let's talk a bit about you. So natural world, wildlife is clearly something that you absolutely adore because of your the jobs, many jobs you do. Mm-hmm. But what is your favourite part of the natural world? Oh my gosh, this is so easy. The ocean. <laughs> Anything <laughs> to do with the ocean <laughs> is my favorite part of the natural world. Um, just like the way that everything is connected with the ocean. Just so when mm. I first moved here to Florida, I never really like lived near the ocean. I grew up in a place called Michigan Bar. It's kind of it's near Canada. That's all you need to know. Yeah. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> So I came down here and just started when I started learning more about the ocean and even like other environments within Florida, like the Everglades, like we have the only Everglades in the entire world. And that is also connected to the ocean. And it's kind of like the lifeblood of Florida, if you will. Yeah. And um, yeah, so just anything to do with the ocean and especially like the wildlife in the ocean. I just absolutely love it. You've got me sold. <laughs> <laughs> see the ocean because I, I love marine life and I'm, I'm fascinated by it but I've always I don't know where this fear comes from it's not a fear of things in the ocean I don't fear sharks I don't fear marine predators or anything like that I just feel so alien in the water but do you have the opposite feeling to that I have the opposite like I honestly feel so like one with the water unless I'm like you know out in the water by myself in the middle and I'm just like oh <laughs> Like yeah. a little scary, yeah. but for the most part, like I don't know, I just love the feeling of being like so small and knowing that, and just like floating and just. I was also a competitive swimmer all the way through college, so like I just just naturally love water. Just love the water, yeah. yeah. But I can totally understand someone being afraid of the ocean because the ocean is massive. It's what 70 percent of the entire earth yeah. like that it's it's definitely got some scary parts won't even lie like i said if i'm like in the ocean i look down and it's just like blackness it's like mm, that's a yeah little, that's what yeah. gets me <laughs> i'm just like uh there's probably a lot of things down there that i can't see so <laughs> it's just such a mind-blowing it, thought with it. exactly so I totally get it when people say they're scared of the ocean, but I personally love it. Yeah, it's, it is one of those, I, I could watch it 
you know, for, on TV or media forever. It's just one of these absolute. It's, it's you know, in the same way, spaces. It's just that absolute another world but then put me in it i also just don't think i'm suited for the water i'm six foot seven i weigh like 13 stone i'm not very heavy like do you know what i mean i just i look like a bit of kelp in the water i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i just don't look at home in water i don't think people always looking at me again is he all right should you get him out um (laughs) should he be there probably not (laughs) um but let's talk about our topic today. So we're talking about sea turtles, which I will say I have seen in the wild before and I've swam with them, you know, at a respectful distance and stuff. So that was an amazing experience. And you specify in sea turtle conservation as well as your shark work. But why have sea turtles for you, what, what's captured you about them? What do you love about sea turtles? Yes. So I will be honest again. Sea turtles pay the bills. That's no... <laughs> Finally, That's someone you. said it on the show. I, I know, like this because it pays. Be, yeah, like I'll be 100% honest. I first started with sea turtles because it was a job and it was a foot in the door for marine mm. science. And I was like, you know, at the time I was doing more education stuff, but I really wanted to do more field work and like research. Yeah. And so I applied for the job and they were like, you know, we're just looking for people who don't really know what they want to do and are looking to learn more. You like to be outside and can do all this field work. So I was like, sure, why not? So um, once I did start working with sea turtles, I did beach conservation and I'll probably get into that a little bit more later. And I also worked in the sea turtle rehab hospital. So helped with like medical procedures with the um, sea turtles and uh, husbandry. So like taking care of them and while they're trying to get better. But yeah, so sea turtle and I guess it kind of turned into a passion. Sharks are something that I've like been obsessed with since like I was five. So they're just, yeah. So they're definitely more of like, something I'm more passionate about. The sea turtles, you know, they're just as important to the ocean as sharks. So it is really important to me to work in sea turtle conservation, you know, to keep the cycle going because sea turtles are part of the food chain and a lot of sharks eat sea turtles. (laughs) So being able to keep those populations healthy or important for the sharks and important for us in the ocean. So... So I've got to ask you because we're like we may we probably well we will talk talk about sharks again. But whilst this is in my head, what is your favorite shark species? My favorite shark is the nurse shark. They're underrated. Yeah. A lot of people are just like, eh, it's just a nurse shark. But I think they're really cool. And I'm kind of biased because they were my um first study shark in grad school. I did my whole thesis on nurse sharks, and they're super cute. They're bigger than people think as well. I yeah, thought. they are a lot bigger than people think, mm. but they're super cute too. <laughs> <laughs> they really they really are let's face it they're also cute they're very cute <laughs> so back to sea turtles oh do you have a favorite sea turtle oh i do uh i love loggerhead sea turtles they are just like loggerhead. super cool and their heads are massive like they're just they're really cool and i've worked with a lot of loggerhead sea turtles and they've mm. always been my favorite to work with they got a little bit of attitude too and i, I like that like a little spice thrown in there <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, but yeah longer head sea turtles when i first saw sea turtles in the wild there was something very again i guess this is always when we're talking about marine it's 
I don't want to use the word alien too much, but it, it was very bizarre to see something like that swimming so far out at ocean as well. Do you ever get used to that kind of feeling when you see them in the wild? Honestly, anytime I see like a sea turtle or even a shark in the wild, I get the same feeling, which is just like, oh my gosh, so cool. <laughs> like, I just love it. Yeah, you just never get used. To, I don't know. I don't ever get used to it. Seeing turtles out, like I I'm mostly see turtles in coral reefs and they're usually like mm. not really doing much, like sleeping or something. It's just... I don't know. I, I never get used to it. And I just, I love, they're just so, they're so majestic in the water. Like when they're swimming. Yeah. yeah like there's their one little flip of their flippers and they are gone. <laughs> it's like they're flying almost. To be exactly, honest. It's like watching yeah. a bird in the sky, isn't it? Exactly. It's so lovely. So let's talk about them as a group. So how many species of sea turtles do we have? So there are seven total species of sea turtles. Would you like me to name them? I would love you to. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we've got, um, I'll start with the three species that we get here, that nest here in Florida. We've got green sea turtle, loggerhead sea turtles, and leatherback sea turtles. Um, mm. Then we've got uh, olive ridley sea turtles, Kemp's ridley sea turtles, hawksbills, and flatback sea turtles. Flatbacks are, I believe, mostly in Australia. And what kind of oceans, because you said you were seeing them in coral reefs, is there certain ocean habitats they favour or can it really differ between species? It differs between the species. So um, sea turtles are found in all the oceans in the world and mostly, like I said, the flatbacks are like endemic mm. to Australia. You don't really see those anywhere else. But okay. um, the, uh, like, for example, Hawksville sea turtles, they're very residential, so they don't, like, migrate long distances. They like to stay in reefs because they um, they eat sponges. And I think sponges and, like, corals. Then we've got green sea turtles. They like to also hang out in coral reefs and seagrass because they're herbivores, so they eat, like, algae. Uh, they munch on turtle grass, which is a type of seagrass. But, yeah, so it really depends. Like, leatherbacks, for example, they're, like, the outliers, they are completely open water species. They only come back near shore to nest. Other than that, they're out in the water, like out in the open ocean, migrating thousands of miles. That's amazing. Yeah, and they're also one of the deepest diving vertebrates in the entire world. So they'll dive down to like two miles <laughs> under the ocean. What? Yeah, and they feed exclusively on jellyfish. That's like one of my favorite sea turtle facts about leatherbacks they only eat jellyfish two miles down two miles yes and that's why they have so they're called leatherbacks because they don't have hard shells like any of the other sea turtles mm. you can never like just show a leatherback shell like you could like a loggerhead uh but yeah. leatherbacks their shell is made out of this really flexible leathery material i think it's keratin kind of like what's on mm. our fingernails yeah and them diving down that shell allows them basically makes it so that they can compress and decompress as they go down so it's not going to crush under all of that pressure wow yeah, and they're the largest sea turtle in the entire world. So they're pretty big. They're like big dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, and they eat jellyfish. That's so random. Right. So what, <laughs> so how long are they holding their breath for? If they're going down for two miles? A couple hours. Yeah, they can hold their breath for a few hours. All sea turtles can hold their breath for a few hours, depending on how active they are. Like if they're in a yeah. stressful situation, like trying to get away from a shark or something, then they're probably, <laughs> their breath hold is not as good. But when they're sleeping, <laughs> they can 
stay in water for a few hours. And leatherbacks, were they if they're traveling down that far, are they where at night are they rested? So they're obviously going to rest down deep on the water. They're not going to rest near the surface, are they, right? That's actually something I don't really know. And there's a lot that we still don't know about leatherbacks because they're such a cryptic open water species. We're still learning so much about them. But yeah, I'm not too sure where they sleep. That's actually something I don't think I've ever thought of before. Like, where yeah. do they sleep? <laughs> That's a classic Ryan question that will ask yeah. something and go, I don't know, I no one's ever thought about that. No, I love questions that I don't know because then I like, go look it up later. <laughs> I'm basing that on that most other species that are open water will rest lower down because it's darker and safer, right. surely. exactly, yeah. And that That's my sense. common yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that checks out. Fact check me, yeah. people. Yes. <laughs> Get email in. Um, let you know. Turtles played a massive part in Finding Nemo, right? Which I guess is relating back to Disney. But um, there was big talks, and people were always talking about turtles and tortoises about the lifespan and how long they can live for. But for sea turtles, and I guess I get this may change among species, but do they live for as long as we think they do? That's also a question we don't really know. We assume around like 60 years or so in the wild. Yeah. They definitely live a lot longer in captivity. I think the oldest sea turtle in captivity right now is a loggerhead sea turtle, and he's like 80 plus years old. Oh my God. And still going yeah so they can live a long time they definitely have very long lifespans and they don't even officially become like reproducing adults until they're about 25 to 30 years old so very long-lived species and you were talking about some of the diets so you said leatherbacks will eat jellyfish Mm -hmm. and then some will eat sponges and seeds what kind of what other things are these animals eating yeah so loggerheads in particular they like to eat shelled creatures so crustaceans like crab and snails conch and that's one reason why they're called loggerheads is because they have this massive head that is used for just (laughs) crushing through the shells of like conch and crabs and things like that the green sea turtles i think i said they're herbivores Mm -hmm. so they eat like seagrass and algae i'm actually not too sure what the flatbacks eat because i don't really know much about the flatbacks they're in australia (laughs) (laughs) they're too far away yeah they're too far away um but yeah so literally each species kind of has its own like special niche in the environment because they have their own their own specialized diets and when it comes to reproducing like you know we we always hear about like you know it's quite an event when the sea turtles of any species really come back to nest on the beach Mm -hmm. i've heard things before where that sea turtles have to do the journey themselves in order to know where to go back is there truth in that yes so sea turtles will they net they lay their eggs on the beach so sea turtle nesting season at least here in Florida, it starts in March and it ends in October. Um, And each species comes at certain times within that time span. So each turtle mama that comes to nest, they have been born either on that beach or a beach around there. So they do always come back to their natal beach. They imprint on the beach and they go out do their turtle thing, get really big, try to become an adult. Hopefully they make it to adulthood <laughs> and then <laughs> come back and um, nest in that same area that they were born. So I think that's pretty cool. Personally, it's like, oh, and they can always find their way back. Like, what? 
I know, I know. This is what I don't understand about. I mean, that's just animals having a closer connection to their natural yeah. environment, isn't it? But that's yeah. What? What? Why are they so cute as babies? What's going oh, on? <laughs> I know they are just adorable. My my favorite um, sea turtle hatchlings are uh, green sea turtles. They're just like so cute, and they start out as like a black color with a gray outline on their fins, and they're just so floppy and oh, they're so cute. <laughs> It's like the hardest thing to watch on any nature documentary when a sea turtle is trying to make its way to the beach. Mm-hmm. I've never hated as many animals in such a short space of time. Go, yeah. get away from the animal! I know. <laughs> they, they be going through it. As soon as they're laid, everything wants to eat them as their eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get born. And then everything wants to eat them again. Because they're just like, they're perfect cookie size. That's always why I tell people. They're the cookie of the sea. They're just little little cookies or like, Chicken nuggets, whatever you want to... Yeah. And as soon as they get in the ocean, everyone's like, oh, they'll be fine. And you're like, no, no. That was chapter one on the beach. Chapter two's just begun. Yep. (laughs) Many chapters. Absolute nightmare. So have you been involved in many... Like You said you were at some um, rehabilitation sites. So have you seen many turtles nest? Yes. So my first job with sea turtles and even with the job I do now, we do beach conservation. So sea turtles are federally protected here in Florida, here in the U.S., sorry. And during that season of them nesting, we will, everyone, all the sea turtle people in Florida, we go out on the beach every morning and mark their nests. So we do that in uh, some of the programs that we've done, the nighttime programs, because that's when sea turtles nest is at night. Um, I've been able to go out and actually see the sea turtles coming up and digging their nests and laying their eggs. And it's it's really cool. God, it sounds amazing. I'd absolutely love to see it. Yeah. I think it just it sounds like such a calming. Really, does it never, you never get used to it? No, nope. It It's just... It's just like you're just watching nature at work and the turtle just automatically don't we don't even know if it's a new mom or like, you know, a veteran mom. But like they always know what to do. They know how to dig the nest. They put their eggs in there, cover it up, go back in the ocean and get ready to do it again. (laughs) So it's just so cool. And like, how long like is the gestation? So, well, I guess the incubation rather. So, when the eggs are in the ground, how long are they in there, unsupervised for before they hatch? So, for leatherbacks, it takes seventy to eighty days. So, about that's okay. like what almost three months, about two and a half months. Yeah. Um, for all the other species, it usually takes about two months. Well, wow, two months or less. Yeah. And they're so, am I right in saying with, similar to other reptiles as well, it's so temperature dependent on what the gender ratio, um, sorry, not gender, the sex ratio <laughs> is going to be among the, um, among the offspring. Is that right? Yes, yes. So I always remember it by hot chicks and cool dudes. So hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. Yeah, warm sand, warmer sand gives you more girls and cooler sand gives you more boy sea turtles. I was going to ask you about sea turtle conservation and what risks are to sea turtles, but I guess actually we might have just segued naturally into that. Does that mean that with climate change, we're seeing an issue with sea turtles and sex ratios in the wild? Oh yeah, for sure. At the last place I worked, we actually worked with a researcher. They put temperature lockers into the nest so after they lay them we'll just like you know move a couple eggs put a temperature locker in and then cover it back up so we are recording the 
temperature and how it changes throughout the whole incubation period. So she's found, and then after they hatch, they take about 10 or 20 hatchlings and then they go and sex them just to see like, and compare, you know, see what the ratio is in comparison to the temperature of the nest. So what she's found over the past, like, I think 10 years, we've had almost 99% females being hatched in their experiment nests. So, Whoa. Um, and you could already, you, you can probably already think of how that could be an issue <laughs> in <laughs> their population. Yeah. And there's definitely a couple different things like, you know, we're not getting enough males out there to actually continue repopulating the population. But also, you know, maybe it could just be a species that does better with more females. But overall, we know that if we get 100% females for a much longer point of time, it's probably not going to end very well yeah. for the whole population. So definitely can show an issue. And the fact that if the sand is getting way too hot, easily can kill the embryo that's inside so wow yeah that's yeah. the thing i didn't even think of yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. the hotter it gets it's just not gonna be an inhabitable nest at all is it it's exactly. just gonna be an and the sand here in florida gets hot like in the summer i just remember like each summer just gets hotter and hotter and just the sand is just like i'm just like i can't put my feet on the sand like what are these poor turtles doing like yeah but there's definitely some research they're trying different methods on how we can maybe keep the sand cool, like maybe put some sprinklers out there and like mm. sprinkle the water on some of the nests. But yeah, so we're still trying to figure that one out. Well, that's interesting though, because on that point of like the climate crisis and things like that, I guess we, you know, we talk about UK wildlife a lot here on Into the Wild, being based here in the UK, and you, you know, we've we've seen changes. We we're seeing you know plant species come out a good six to eight weeks earlier than they should be from you know ground bulbs to blossoms coming out we're seeing bees come out earlier and then dying off in february because it's too cold we're seeing all these usual patterns are you getting the same patterns there in orlando and and florida and things it's hard to tell sometimes with florida because it's just always hot (laughs) and it's just (laughs) you're just like it's just hot Um, it's just hot but thing that comes to mind is like our rainy season sometimes that Mm. starts in like like march or april and you know there's been some years that have just been so dry and we're just like what like what is going on and that's usually years that we're like we need the rain to cool off these sea turtle nests so that they don't (laughs) fry up but yeah we've definitely had some like extended dry seasons Um, i'd say that's one of the most noticeable things but also we do get some sea turtles that start nesting a lot earlier and also kind of move a little bit further north. So like our leatherbacks, they're the first ones to start nesting. And the past like three or four years, we've started seeing leatherbacks come in February. And usually we start getting our first leatherbacks March-ish, like first week of March. Yeah. So the ocean itself is warming. So the sea turtles and all other wildlife really are using those environmental cues to tell them when they should start doing things. So some environmental cues are definitely starting earlier for some animals. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. 
Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash Into the Wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. As well as climate change, which is, you know, as we know, is pretty much affecting everything on the planet. But what what other pressures are on sea turtles globally? I'd say one of the biggest threats to sea turtles right now, fisheries and especially here in Florida, recreational things. So boats, boat strike injuries are probably the top. Uh, those are the top thing in our rehabilitation hospital. Like most of our sea turtles were uh, boat strike injury sea turtles, but definitely like the commercial fishing industry, sometimes those big trolls, they can catch sea turtles. And uh, since a lot of like, you know, leatherbacks and uh, loggerheads, they're open water swimming species, they can get yeah. caught into that and that really affects their population. But um, I'd say the big, big ones are definitely the fisheries and um, recreational activities. So when you start looking at sea turtle conservation, what are the main methods that we go about conserving these animals? What is the best way that we can start restoring their populations and their habitat? Yeah, so working with specific fisheries, that really helps because in the past couple of years, they actually invented something called the TED. It's a turtle exclusion device. So in some of the shrimp crawls, there's literally a gate so that if like a sea turtle or even like a dolphin or something, if they actually get like caught up in that net, there's a trap door for them to get out of. So um, they've actually seen a lot of success with that innovation. And another big thing for sea turtles just starts at the beach. So beach conservation is really big here in Florida and is a really impactful conservation tool because beach conservation didn't start until like maybe like the 80s or late 70s. With sea turtle conservation, since they're such a long-lived species and since it takes them a long time, they make it to adulthood, we don't really see our conservation efforts in full effect until like years later. So I'm talking about the Florida specifically because 30 years ago, conservation started on the beach. Right now, we're actually starting to see booming populations of our green sea turtles because those were a species that was actually eaten here in Florida like 30 years ago before it was uh, illegal. All of a sudden, within the past three years, we've had record-breaking number of uh, green sea turtle nests. And it's literal proof that the conservation initiatives that we started 30 years ago are actually working now because we are seeing booming populations of these green sea turtles. Like, I think they actually went up a step in the IUCN red list. So I think they went from, like, critically endangered to threatened or something like that. They mm. I'll have to look up the specifics, but they moved up a little on that endangered list, which is, which is a win. <laughs> Not 100% there, but, you know, they're doing better. So, yeah, I'd say beach conservation is, like, a really important one because it kind of starts from when they're <laughs> laid. <laughs> But that's a weird time for you, I guess, or anyone working in beach conservation now, because like you said, you're not going to see the impacts of what you're doing now, but you are seeing the confirmations of work that was done X amount of years ago. So that's a really, there's not much other, well, I'm sure there are other examples around the world with wildlife conservation, but that's quite a unique situation to be in going, we, we can base this on what we were doing years ago. 
but we won't know if it's correct until the future, which is kind exactly. of weird yeah. for you, right, though? Yeah, it is, because a lot of research within sea turtle conservation, you have to look at data from years ago. Like, you're looking at a long, like, temporal set of data, and it is a little weird. But, like, yeah. another thing with the, you know, with the rehabilitation that I did, that was definitely more of a, what is it, like, nursing this turtle back to health and, you know, just kind of seeing the results from that. Um, and that's why I really liked working in the rehabilitation department because it was very rewarding. You know, like, I helped this turtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like instant gratification. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, that also takes a while because, you know, it's just like being in a hospital. Like, you're there for a while. You know, we've had turtles for over a year in our rehabilitation facility but still even then i'd say that's even more rewarding because it's like we just took all this time used all of our efforts to really help this turtle be able to get back out into the wild now let's talk about miss elasmo you mentioned it was minorities in shark science so miss elasmo at the beginning so let's talk about this because this is I said to you before we press record i've had jada on the show before who's also part or a co-founder of the organization but we did not have time to talk about this wonderful organization because we were so busy having a rundown of Seaspiracy at the time. So, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, which was a banging chat. Oh, I bet. <laughs> she was actually with but, me. We watched it all together for the first time. It was her and Amani and myself, and you should have been in the room with us. With some wine, too. Oh, we were just like, screaming at the tv i think she told us that oh did she? i think she said you she all sat with we all sat together and watched it with white did you not think of doing like a live rundown we should have we really should have but we were way too caught up in <laughs> <laughs> it's oh we so, we a professional up, way to say drunk <laughs> yes there we go <laughs> so oh, i didn't get a chance i'm very disappointedly to ask jada much about this organization but carly let's ask you so tell us what miss elasmo is what the organization does and how it came about yeah so uh, minorities and shark sciences is a non-profit organization dedicated to uplifting and highlighting women of color within shark sciences and also our big mission is to increase the diversity within shark sciences because mm. shark science is a very white male dominated field, as with, you know, a lot of other scientific disciplines. <laughs> <laughs> and every other industry. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, specifically with shark science portrayed on media, you only see mm. these big macho white guys doing shark yeah. science and like with great white sharks and jumping in the cage and all this. When in rea reality, that doesn't really reflect what shark science or the community of shark science. We actually started in June of 2020 um, when we actually started through Twitter. It was kind of funny. It was a tweet that I had made it was part of like a was it, like a viral hashtag that was going around mm. called hashtag black in nature. And this was basically a response to, you know, there was a lot of civil unrest happening in the summer of 2020. And I like yeah. to say it as, wow, the year that everyone realized that racism still exists. Things that black people have been trying to say for literally ever. <laughs> and then we just needed a pandemic to really make people listen. To, to, to but, really show what was going on. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so there was an incident with Chris Cooper in uh, New York and this white lady had called the cops on him because he was bird watching. Really wasn't doing anything, just bird watching. Wow. In response to that, a lot of black people on Twitter 
wanted to break that stereotype that Black people don't go outside, Black people don't work in nature, they don't even like being outside. Um, so I joined in on that hashtag, posted pictures of myself with sharks and sea turtles, and Jasmine, our CEO, she replied and was like, oh my gosh, another Black girl in shark science, cool. And I was like, what? I have never seen, I had <laughs> never seen another Black girl in shark science, like ever. Wow. Another black person honestly and she had replied i think it was her first time as well seeing another black girl in shark science and then i think jada and amani kind of came in and we were mm. just like what like there's more of us like we did not even know we existed so we got together on a zoom call because we were just like all right we have to like meet each other we kind of just talked and was like we kind of felt like we wanted to do something like we were just feeling like we needed to create something and do something for the community so that no one else could feel like we did, which was very isolated and, you know, had never seen anyone else who looked like us in this field. So that's essentially how Miss started. Two weeks later, we figured out our name and then we kind of launched. <laughs> our biggest goal is to break down the financial barrier that comes with shark mm. science because shark science is a big pay to play field. So you have to pay for a lot of experience. You go on internships that you have to pay for. <laughs> so <laughs> our, yeah, so um, and that just creates a big divide in who yeah. has access to certain things. So that's really why we created MISS. And we create programs that we make sure people can get shark research experience for free. We provide travel. We provide um, money for stay. We just want to make it as accessible as possible so that people who have always wanted to do shark science but couldn't afford it, they can do it now. It's amazing. It's and do you know what? I think twenty twenty, like we say in jest, it was the year that <laughs> people realise certain things exist mm -hmm. still. <laughs> but it also the the I guess the reaction to that as well has been wonderfully overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you've had groups like Mizalasmo perform and we've mm -hmm. had our we've had groups here in the UK, we've had Muslim hikers and Black Birders Week, which I think was, mm -hmm. you know, international as well yep. in America as well yep. as over here. And you have all these things form. And you've, I, I said it on a show recently that it's just such a great reaction. To, do you know? <laughs> agreed, agreed. Because when we did our first weekend launch, it was one, everyone's like glued onto their phones because that was all you could really do. <laughs> but also, you know, we reached 85% of our fundraising goal within one weekend. And it was wow. just like, yeah. And it was like, it was just such, we weren't expecting that type of reaction. And it was, you know, it was nice to know that people were actually listening and that people thought that what we were doing was a good initiative. They really supported it. It's, it is incredible. Do, do you feel like since your organisation is approaching, quickly approaching, if not just gone over two years, but do you feel like it's paved the way? Do you feel like change is on its way? Do you feel like things are getting more, I guess, is awareness being spread in the way that you guys had hoped it would be? Oh, for sure. Like the internships and the workshops we provide, with us partnering with specific institutions, basically mm. coming half and half, they're saying, look, we want to be able to provide free internships because that's something we haven't done before, but we want y'all's help on how we can do that. So we literally partner with these places. And I think that in itself, like organizations realizing that they need to change and that they want to be more accessible. I think mm. that 
shows that we are making a lot of change. And also, you know, there's been a couple other minority founded groups like Minorities in Aquariums and Zoos. That's an organization that started a few months after we did. And there's been a number of other types of organizations like that starting. And, you know, it's just nice that one, people are starting to create their own communities for people of color within specific disciplines, but also that there are institutions that are realizing that they need to change, especially if we call them out. Like, we're not afraid to call people out. (laughs) So (laughs) we're just like, yeah, that's not very accessible. And they'll just be like, oh, like, you know, some people are just like taken back. Like, oh, my gosh, like, didn't know we weren't accessible, blah, blah. But then once they actually like realize that they need to make change. We've been able to see the impact that we've had and just seeing other institutions, like I said, realize that they need to change is really cool. It is good to hear that organizations are being told that they need to change and are doing so as well. Do you know what I mean? Because it's such Mm -hmm. a conditioned thing to think, no, we're doing a good thing. Look what we do over here in the corner. Like, Not all of them. We'll say, say, not all of them, but the ones that listen, (laughs) they're good. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. The ones that listen. Let's make that division. (laughs) So that's how Miss Elizamo was set up and that's what it's doing. So what are the aims for the future for the organization? We want to be able to provide one more internships and fellowships like widely like right now we do have a good number of internships and fellowships and different programs but we want to kind of expand our reach in that sense so we have workshops that happen but right now they're only in Miami and we want to be able to do that in multiple places we want to be able to send people to college one day have scholarships be able to fund people's research and grad school and just basically break down all the barriers (laughs) like Mm. it'll you know that's our our ultimate goal is to not be needed anymore because everything is accessible but you know that's probably like a very very far in the future (laughs) but (laughs) our major goal is to just make everything as accessible as possible and shouldn't have to jump through all these different hoops especially financial hoops in order to be a shark scientist like anyone can be a shark scientist that's really what we (laughs) want everyone to know it's such great work that you guys are doing it's so lovely to hear about it and it's so lovely to hear that it's working as well do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you know these organizations are set up and it's just so nice to hear that the work the four of you have put in place and i'm sure others as well is having an impact and making that change as well It's, it's great to hear how can people support the organization is there any way that people can log on and and help if they wanted to yeah for sure so on our website uh, missalasmo.org i believe we do have a section of the website that says like how you can help or support us you can support through monetary donations because a lot of our programs are funded through solely donations Uh, we do Mm -hmm. get grant money as well but we do uh, rely a lot on our um, fundraising. You can follow us on social media, Miss underscore Lasmo across all the social media platforms, sharing our stuff, spreading the word. That's another way to show support if you can't do monetary donations. And also we take donations of goods and services. If you want to volunteer your time, it's just four of us <laughs> running Miss and we're all under 30 and you know we're not experts in everything so we all welcome help and resources and things like that so yeah we accept help in all forms (laughs) in all forms please get in touch (laughs) um my last question to you carly is if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world what would you pass on 
One thing that I love to tell people is that no matter where you live, no matter how far away from the ocean you feel like you are, everything you do and everything like our lives just depend on the ocean. Like everything depends on the ocean. <laughs> even if you don't even, like I said, if you don't live near the ocean, everything you do affects the ocean as well. So just be aware of your footprint on the planet and also be aware that everything you do affects the ocean. And um, just because you're far away doesn't mean that you can't advocate for the ocean. You can't do things that might, you know, help the health of our oceans. But yeah, we are all connected to the ocean and yeah, we're connected to the ocean. That is, <laughs> that's what's my thing. That's kind of like, get it on mugs, get it on t-shirts, exactly. get it everywhere. <laughs> get it everywhere. We are connected. <laughs> it sounds very like... <laughs> Lion King E or something like oh, <laughs> it's very spiritual. I like yeah, it. It's very I like spiritual. it. <laughs> Carly, thank you so much for joining me on Into the World. Pleasure to talk to you. Um, and all the best for all the work you've got coming up in the near future. Thank you. It was so nice talking to you, Ryan. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Carly or Miss Elasmo are working on, then you can do so on social media. Their tags, of course, are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. If you would like a shout out on the show or to be put into a draw to win a free Into the Wild podcast mug, yes please, then all you have to do is review the show on iTunes or Spotify or both and send me a screen grab, take part in our weekly nature highlight share every Sunday on Instagram, or you can tip Into the Wild via our Ko-fi link in the write-up of this episode. Of course, you can do all three of those things and increase your chance of winning the monthly mug. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.